this end when the final girl kills the main bad guy and the credits roll. Welcome to Final Girl Podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss and analyze your favorite horror movies. My name is Ryan Turner, and with me once again, I have the lovely Mitch Shaw. How you doing, sir? Hey, hey, hey. Glad to be back. How's it going? Uh, you know, just uh, fat and sassy as always. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gotta love it. Every time, anytime someone asks me, like, how it's going or how I'm doing and everything, that's always my response. And that's been my response for, like, years since I was a kid because that's always what my dad has said. <laughs> <laughs> I like grew up listening to him every time someone was like, "Hey, how you doing?" He's just like all fat and sassy. So <laughs> just like that's one of the things I took from my dad growing up as a kid was I was just like that's that's my response and people always laugh at it every time I say it. I've taken I've taken uh one from a military friend of mine every time people would ask him, he'd always say, "Oh, just bubbling over." But he always said it so <laughs> like mundane sounding, so it just oh. like it yeah, so it always works for me too. I always just like, oh, I'm bubbling over. So. Honestly, it's a better response than you know just the whole uh, living the dream thing because well, that used to, you say that you know that, you just hate in your life. So uh, uh, self uh, incrimination, I guess, and a little confession. Um, back in my college days, my wilder days, that was the nickname that my friends gave me was living the dream. I may have said it a few too many times. In my life, so <laughs> just a few tweet times. <laughs> tried to steer clear of using that so much anymore. I mean, honestly, uh, that you could have had worse nicknames. And I do still own a T-shirt that says "Living the Dream" that I may just wear the next time we do a video podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just make that my uh, final, uh, not Final Fantasy. I keep wanting to say that my fantasy team name in fantasy football this year. Yes, <laughs> I like it. <clears throat> honestly, though. I don't know if I can come up with a better name than the one I have right now. And I think the uh, – because I'm in three leagues currently, and I think the one that we're in together – actually, no, the one we're in together, my name is The Big Chungus. I need to come up with a new name for that one because I don't really care for that name. I kind of put it as a placeholder. Um, but the one I'm in, it's Roger – it's it's Roger's League, I think. Uh, my, my name in there is uh, Roger Top Michael Bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so. my, mine in mine in the league that we're both in is uh, I have a Bonner. Um, yeah, so the, I, yeah. I, I really like that one, especially since there's three, bon- well, four <laughs> Bonners technically in the league. So um, true. Yeah. With Brittany, yeah. yeah, with Brittany in there. So we'll, we'll uh, I'll, I'll probably keep that one for a while. Um, yeah, I need to come up with a with another name for that for that league. But other than that, I'm happy with the league the names I have in my other leagues. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, as as Mitch said, we are recording remotely today, guys. So if there's any kind of issues that happen during this podcast, I apologize. Um, for future reference, for anyone listening, our studio that we had, we no longer have. So until further notice, we are going to be recording remotely again, which unfortunately means there will be no video podcasts as of right now. Um, I know some of you guys listening to this might be like, well, Ryan, there's not been video podcasts for like months, and you're right. I have, I've been <laughs> not putting up the video episodes, and that's my fault. Um, it's, it's a lot of work that goes into editing those uh, video podcasts, and I'm well aware that I'm a teacher, and it's summer vacation currently, but I've also been doing a lot of other stuff on the side, and so 
I haven't had a whole lot of time or energy to put into editing those podcasts, and so that's my fault. However, I'm hoping to get those out soon. So if you've been waiting for the video podcast on past episodes that have not been released, um, hopefully those will be out very soon. Otherwise, I apologize for not having uh, video podcasts going forward for right now. It's kind of out of my control with no studio. So we will be doing those eventually again. Uh, we kind of have something in the works right now that might work out as a studio, but I don't know how it's going to play out yet. So as I said, until further notice, we're just going to be doing audio podcasts again like we used to do back in the old days. <laughs> you know, and <clears throat> just so you, you guys know, I tried to talk him into working in a video podcast via remote because I've seen other podcasts with um, video done remotely, and he just pussied out. So just blame it on Ryan. Okay, so the reason I I decided not to do that is because, well, first of all, (laughs) I'm going to have to do some practice with that because you're right. I, I could make that work, but I need to practice it, and I know there's no better way to practice than actually doing it. Um, but also, I have a very terrible background where I'm at currently. I'm in my room of my house, and where I'm at, it is not a very appealing background to record video podcast for, because I currently live in my childhood home, and uh, my walls are still painted the way they were when I was a kid, which is not really painted, but they are plastered with uh, lizards all over the walls. So, uh, I don't really want to record that for video podcasts, even though I just outed myself, letting everyone know those are my walls. But we will get something worked out for video podcasting eventually. We just don't have it as of right now. Um, however, moving on from my embarrassing childhood home, uh, or room, <laughs> I should say. Today, Mitch, we are going to be discussing Eli Roth's 2002 Cabin Fever. Oh, Yes. And boy, is this a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was texting you the other night, and my lord, it is not a very good movie. But my oh my, like, uh, I I felt like it was such a better movie when I watched it 13 to 15 years ago was the last time probably I watched it. So, but man, oh man. So, you're not wrong. This this movie kind of sucks. Um... But you're right. When I watched it, because this came out in 2002, I was only 10 in 2002, so I obviously did not watch this movie when it first came out. I do remember, though, I watched the trailer on TV or something um, when it first came out, and it terrified me because there was the scene with the rabbit in the hospital, which we'll talk about eventually. Um, But that scene in the trailer terrified me for some reason, and it's like literally a two-second clip out of the movie. But I was horrified by that. But when I finally got around to watch this movie, probably about high school, um, I, I remember it being better than it actually is. And funny thing is, is I actually watched this movie not too long ago. Uh, actually, I think I watched it during quarantine, which makes sense because this movie is all about like the like pandemic and this disease, or not disease, but like this virus going around killing people. Um, and it wasn't that bad even then. And then I watched it again today to record for this episode, and I'm just like, hmm... This movie's kind of trash. <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, like, I was just shocked at some of the stuff that was still happening in theater or in movies based on, the, right. you know, like, the N-word got dropped in this movie. Like, <laughs> It got dropped several times in this movie, yeah. By white people. And I, exactly. And 
there also I have that in my notes, and there's also the 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 characters keep throwing around like, "Oh, that's so gay" and everything, and I'm just like. Okay, we get it. It's a 2002 movie. Yes, people talked like that in 2002. It is not okay to talk like that. We've all we all understand that it's not okay to say you know that something's gay or whatever as a, as a means of saying it's stupid. But that is how people talked in the early 2000s. And my lord, does Eli Roth drive that point home that this is an early 2000s movie by using language like that and by using you know the lingo and stuff and just the overall like aesthetic of this film. Is very early 2000s, and there's no escaping it. You know how you watch, like, the original Friday the 13th, and you're like, God, this movie is such an 80s movie. Oh, yeah. People, people like, 30 years from now will watch this film and be like, God, that is such an early 2000s horror movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, the other thing that I noticed, too, was, and, and I tried to look it up. I wasn't able to find anything for sure. I'm sure there's somewhere that does it, because I've seen it before, but... They use the f bomb ex like just it, excessively. It got excessively, yeah. It was it was too much. Like it's like every other word out of these kids' mouth is just fuck. Yeah, and it felt like <clears throat> like because I know that there's a site or somewhere that counts like how many f bombs are in a movie, and I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find it. But gosh, it's if it's not a record or close to it, it's got to be. I mean, it's got to be up there. It's well, what's funny about this movie and using that is one of my favorite movies growing up, and it's weird to say growing up because this is not a movie that a kid should watch, but I watched this in high school, uh, was Boondock Saints. Mm -hmm. And Boondock Saints is like on the record of one of the highest movies that has like that uses the word fuck. And I think the actual like the record holding movie for that is a film called Fuck, and it talks about the history of cussing or something like that. Um, but Boondock Saints was like number two or three on that list. And you don't notice it that much. Even though they say it so often, you don't notice it. This movie, though, it's like they force it down your throat. Yeah, it's, it, 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 they go they go out of their way to say it. Yeah, almost. It, it, it stood out to me, honestly. Like, and I'm not one that you know is afraid of the word, but it just um, right. You know, when you're when you're watching it, a movie, and and a word stands out to you then you know it's probably being used excessively and 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 it just did to me um for whatever right. it didn't seem natural like some points in the film i was like okay it makes sense that they're using this language here because it's like a very intense situation but in the very beginning whenever they're first driving off and heading out to the cabin uh and marcy's hanging out the window telling that kid not to go to college right. she says it like six times in the one sentence she says yeah and I'm like, that's it's already excessive, and we've only been in this movie for two minutes. Yeah, for sure, I agree, hundred <clears throat> percent. Um, so before we get too ahead of ourselves, um, let's go ahead and just say, guys, if you've not seen this movie, spoiler warning in effect as of now. I got it right, Mitch. Suck it. You did it. Um, <laughs> and I did it. I got it right. Mitch sent me a link the other day or a picture that he made up like uh, merch that says spoiler effect and warning. <laughs> I'm, and I laughed so hard at that. I really <clears throat> like the next time we're in person, I want to have that shirt for sure. <laughs> so if you guys, I, I mean, I do have a t-shirt with my logo and everything on it, but if you guys want some other merch that says spoiler effect and warning, <laughs> let me know. Maybe we'll make some stuff and sell it on the site. Um, but otherwise, spoiler warning in effect as of now, we are going to talk about Cabin Fever in its entirety, so if you've not seen this movie, go ahead, pause this podcast, go watch it, come on back whenever you're done, 
or if you don't care about spoilers because truly I don't want to say this movie's not worth watching. I mean, it's we've already said it's not our favorite film ever. Um <clears throat> but I don't want to tell you to not go watch this movie if you've never seen it. Uh just go in knowing that this was Eli Roth at his earliest kind of work. Uh and if you're familiar with movies like Hostel, which was like I think what, two thousand six is when that came out? Uh it, it was or somewhere around there. It was close after let me look it up real quick while you're talking. Um, but if you're familiar with uh, with Hostel, then you kind of know what you're getting into with this movie. It's just a precursor to Hostel because this movie is vulgar, it's gory, um, it's kind of lackadaisical in its writing, and so it's kind of messy. Uh, so you definitely get Eli Roth at his kind of like beginning of his career. So if you guys know Hostel, you know what you're in for with this film if you've never seen it. But like I said, pause this, go watch the movie, come on back whenever you're done, and... We'll go from there. Yeah. So, yeah. that being said, do what? Hostel was uh, 2005. 2005. Yeah. Okay. And I agree, um, you know, you definitely won't, I think you should watch it. Um, I won't say it's an easy watch. It's a... Oh, it is not an easy a, watch. There, it's a fast watch. There are scenes in this movie. But, it's fast. Yeah. But there are scenes in this movie that make my skin crawl. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this... I don't know if this is the goriest movie we've covered on this show so far, but it's definitely up it's there. It's got to be up there for sure because a yeah. lot of a lot of the movies that you cover are more the psychological type horror, um, and and but this one's just straight. It's it's gore, um, which like right. You have a skin eating virus, and so you're gonna have a lot of blood. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So with that all that being said, guys, we're going to go ahead and hop into this and begin talking about Cabin Fever. So, as I've said, this film is directed by Eli Roth. It was written by Roth and Randy Perlston, or Perlstein. Uh, it stars Ryder Strong, which before we even get into this, I want to talk about this. I was a huge fan of Boy Meets World growing up, and seeing Ryder Strong in this film, like, I could not... I know he did this movie to get away from the whole Boy Meets World aesthetic that he had, uh, in character of Sean Hunter, but I, I couldn't, I could not stop but laughing at the fact that he played in this movie. Um, yeah. it's almost like, it's almost like Anne Hathaway doing, uh, whatever movie it was she did with, um, Jake Gyllenhaal where she was naked in the movie to try to get rid of her Disney, uh, persona. Yeah. It's kind of like one of those it things where I couldn't help but see. It didn't feel natural at all. It did not feel natural. No, <clears throat> but regardless I'm not mad that he's in this movie. Uh, if anything, it makes me want to watch this movie more because he's in it, because I grew up watching him in Boy Meets World, so it is what it is. Um, so we have Ryder Strong, Jordan Ladd, James DeBello, Serena Vincent, Joey Kern, Ari Verveen, and Giuseppe Andrews. So this that's who stars in this film. Um, so I... I don't know a ton about the actors in this movie. Um, a lot of them I don't think have done super big things, except for Ryder Strong. I think he was like the main uh, main person in here. I know Jordan Ladd. This film like kind of brought her into the horror world. Like She even said in an interview she was not a fan of horror movies until she did this film. And then I don't know if she went on to do more <clears throat> horror films or not. Uh, and then Serena Vincent, I believe, is one of those like nine other teenage movie kind of American Pie girls who they put in this film as sex appeal. Yeah, she was, um, I, I was reading in some of the trivia, she was in Not Another Teenage, or Not Another Teen Movie, 
mm-hmm. and there was something about her um, because of she. So it says uh, she had previously played a student who never wore clothes and not another teen movie, and she was concerned about be, basically being the typecast as a nude nude scene chick. So uh-huh. um, in some of the scenes that we'll get into later. Um, she had some special requests, so we can talk about those whenever we get to that point. But so, okay. some uh, odd requests for sure. <clears throat> some odd requests. I'm excited to hear about them because I didn't see that actually. So, all right. So, Cabin Fever opens with a very long title sequence. I don't normally talk about the title sequences, but this one literally is like two and a half minutes of titles um, just over like a parchment paper background that slowly turns red as it goes along. And then. After that ends, we come into the woods and we see a hermit walking through the woods with a dead rabbit in his hand. He gets back to his house to find his dog is dead and he lifts up his leg and finds that his entire like torso has been ripped open. Uh, the hermit gets squirted with blood in the face and we immediately cut to our college students. Um, our college students are Jeff, Marcy, Paul, Karen, and Bert. They are all taking a trip to a remote cabin in the woods to celebrate spring break. And I want to stop here for a second. This is not spring break. When you watch this movie, there's no way this is spring. The leaves are orange. This is fall. You cannot convince me this is not October or November. Yeah, they did a terrible <laughs> job if they were shooting for spring break. Um, they should have at least tried to shoot during a time when everything's green. <clears throat> I mean, I know I know there was a lot of issues with production in this film because even like this was released in 2002, um, but they started shooting, I believe, a month after 9-11 happened. Yeah. So I know there was a lot of issues with production and it took them a lot of time to finish this movie. So I don't know if they intended on filming in the spring and it just ended up, you know, not working out. But if they're going to do production a month after 9-11, so that was September 2011 or 2001, that would have been October. So why not just make it set in the fall? If you're going to film in the fall, don't tell me it's spring break. Right. Yeah. The, you the know? only thing I can, the only thing I could think of is maybe, um, uh, they, so the, so this one says incorrect, uh, under goofs or whatever on IMDB, it says the, the scenery dictates fall and the characters say that they had just finished finals they mean that they had just finished their fall semester finals, not their end of year or spring semester finals. So I okay. I didn't pick up on the spring break part, um, <clears throat> but if the, I was going to say if they were t- if they were if the implications were that it was spring, maybe it was an early spring break. You know, some because some places take their spring breaks at different times, and you know, right. at the beginning of spring before trees are starting to get their um, leaves, you would only see the dead leaves that are on the ground. So maybe that would explain True. it, but th- it definitely, I mean, just reading that, um, maybe explains why it was, it was actually the fall semester and not the spring semester. Right. I don't think it's ever explicitly stated that they're on spring break. It's just in all the notes that I found, it says they were in, on spring break. Okay. And, that that phrase has also become so synonymous with just a vacation, like you know, summer. We, when we say we're on summer or whatever, it means you're on a vacation, right? So like potentially they could just be saying spring break is a vacation week from school or something like that. So I don't know, but either way, we are on spring break in the fall, um, <laughs> and they are heading out to a remote cabin in the woods. 
Um, which obviously everyone knows something bad's going to happen when you have a bunch of college kids going out to the woods in the, in the middle of the fall or I mean in the middle of nowhere. Um, and before we continue on too much, I also want to say too, this is probably with most movies, you want to at least have one character that's likable. And I find it very hard to like any of these characters. Oh, me too. Um, even like you want to, you want to like Ryder Strong's character, but mm-hmm. he's just so cringy, and then he is, and and he also does some really dick things too. Yeah, and and of course Jeff is just he's typecast as the the dickhead, you know. Jeff frat is the worst. Boy. Yeah, he's exactly he's the asshole. For, uh, well, he's like just the asshole like elitist person. Right, right. Marcy's his girlfriend. Uh, then you have Paul, who's like at first he's like the shy, quiet kind of person. Who you're like, obviously he's got main energy character all o- main character energy all over him. Uh, Karen, who you don't know his relationship with yet because she's like sleeping on his shoulder, so you think they're dating even though they're not. Bert is the frat house boy, right? And just the Bert's idiot. Bert's probably yeah. one of, the, yeah, he's probably one of the most obnoxious characters I've ever seen in a film. And and like, what's who would be friends with this guy? Yeah, what what makes it worse um, for me at least watching it is that it wasn't even well acted asshole. It was no. just. He was just an asshole, and it was cringy, like poor acting asshole. So that exactly. that made it a little bit worse for me. So, right, and we'll talk more about Bert's kind of like asshole nature as this movie progresses. Um, so they head off into the woods, and as they drive out, they stop at a general store before they go out too far. Um, and we get this scene. And I guess we have to have this scene to establish these characters for later in the film. But truthfully, I, I feel like the entire film could have done without the general store characters. We didn't need them. I think they were just there to kind of, as plot progression, maybe. I don't know. But we get a very iconic scene here. And I say iconic because I laugh every time I watch this. Because this movie, if you've not seen it yet, this movie is silly for no reason. It, it almost goes out of its way to make it sort of a black comedy at times. Yeah. Um, definitely some fe- of the things that happen in it. Yeah, it definitely feels like a, yeah. like a dark comedy, almost like it's it's almost like it's trying to make fun of itself, almost as if they're trying to right, be it's, self-aware, it's, but not really... Right, it's like Roth wanted to make this film and be like, oh, it's a satire film. Right. But it's just, it comes across as cringy humor, not as, like, satirical humor. For sure, So. Yeah. So you have Paul's character. He gets out of the car and goes over, and there's this kid sitting on a swing, and he's got, like, this long blonde hair, and then Paul goes up and sits by him, and he says, put her there, pal, and hands his, uh, holds his hand out, and the kid, Dennis, grabs his hand and bites it, and you have Dennis's dad rush out, and he's like, what are you doing? Everyone knows not to sit next to Dennis. <laughs> just like, I'm sorry, What? <laughs> And he's just like, maybe you should put a sign out then if you know if everyone knows not to sit next to Dennis. <laughs> and later in the film, there actually is a sign that says, "Don't sit next to Dennis." <laughs> oh, jeez. And and they all, um, and it's like everybody that was at the general store, the ones. Well, it, it goes on throughout the movie too. Some of the other characters outside of the main characters, it felt like everyone had a really really bad wig on. Did you notice that? Oh, the yeah, hair absolutely. was terrible on every like single Dennis's person. Dad, Dennis's hair was awful. Yep. Like, it was absolutely a wig. And then Dennis's dad was... They literally typecast this guy to be the most stereotypical redneck you've ever seen. Because I feel like the point of these general store characters is because Roth was... He wanted this film to be... 
if you knew nothing about this movie, you came in and watched this movie knowing nothing, you would think this is a slasher film. Yeah. Because these guys are are your standard, um, you know, war, uh, wardens of there's something bad in the woods, don't go out there. They even say that. They even say, like, the woods are dangerous. And she's like, well, what? Marcy's like, well, what's in the woods? And he doesn't say anything back about it. So it's very much setting up this movie to be a slasher film, when in reality, that's not it at all. So I don't, I don't know why I'm trying to mix genres here. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe they're just trying to lead you <clears throat> on to think that something else is going to be involved when it's not. But yeah, definitely. Exactly. Definitely. Um, odd. So we get, so we get Dennis uh, biting Paul's hand, and Dennis's dad says, "There's a stream out back if you want to go wash your hand off." So he goes to do that, while the others explore the inside of the general store. So they go in there, they buy all their beer and everything, and that's when we get the, the the scene you were talking about earlier, where we have a very much unwarranted use of the N-word um, to set up a joke that doesn't even, it's not even funny at the end of the film. Like, it's literally, it, I feel like it's just used because we can use it here, I guess, in the early 2000s, um, because they pick up a, a container of fox urine, and Karen says, well, what's the fox urine for? And the general store owner says it's for foxes. And then she asks, well, what's the rifle for? And the general store owner responds, it's for, and says the N-word. Um, and I'm just like, why? Why, why, why? <laughs> what? What is the point of this entire scene? But Yeah, uh, I mean, it was, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't know, like, maybe they were trying to establish, like, a... Um, almost like an aura or a, a, a feel of these people are very ignorant um, and are... I, I think you're right. ...are inept, so to speak, as, you know, basically these people are going out, you know, these college kids are going out in the middle of nowhere and the closest people to them are completely um, backwards, inept, and unable to help them because we know, <clears> obviously <throat> coming into this movie, that there's impending doom, there's going to be something that goes mm-hmm. wrong, and the only people that are around them are ignorant, hillbilly, um, you know, <clears throat> rednecks that don't know their ass from a hole in, gr- that are hole in the ground. Yeah, racist. Exactly. Um, and I feel like this movie, and there are several references I want to point out directly, but I feel like this movie has just a, a lot of horror references within it. I mean, not that other horror movies don't, but I think this scene and the characters in the general store are established the way they are because it's trying to reference uh, Deliverance. And I think yeah. that's kind of like the feel I get from these characters because since Deliverance came out, what, back in the 70s, I think, um, the the whole idea of these backwoods redneck people they always are the same typecast character. Like they're, they're always the same. They're disheveled. They're dirty. They don't have proper hygiene. They're racist. They're afraid of outside. Like they're xenophobic. Um, it's just like, can we, can we do away with that trope? (laughs) I mean, I know this entire show is based off of a horror trope, but like the final girl, I don't think it's a bad horror trope. The ignorant uh, racist hillbilly though. Can we please do away with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, you think about the other kind of movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, you know, you had the ignorant hillbillies there. Um, you know, like you you mentioned Deliverance. You know, there there's the, um, oh, what's the one? Uh, you just did it recently, too, with the, like, inbreds. 
Um, oh, uh, the hills the, have eyes. The hills have eyes. So you have a lot of those type of movies where you have the ignorant redneck people that mm-hmm. you know, and and like you said, it's just a trope that needs to go away. Especially because ninety percent of the time, people just assume that it's West Virginia that's involved whenever these movies are like this. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> now I will say before we continue on, um, bringing up Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think. You're correct in the fact that they definitely describe the Sawyer family as like these, you know, backwoods hillbillies and everything. I get a different vibe from the Sawyer family, though. It feels more like uh, deranged than just redneck. These people are very much just like, oh, they're backwoods redneck West Virginia people. Yeah, but. Whereas the Sawyer family is more like, yeah. There was, um, and. I can't remember in the original, um, but I know in the remake with Jennifer Beale or Jessica Beale, um, I can't I can't remember if they ended up being Sawyer family. But like when they stopped at that store and the old lady in the store with the pig heads in the in the cooler and there's like, um, you know, flies on all the meat and stuff. Uh, I, you know, they were th- part of it. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that was, you know, but you don't get that feel until later on in the movie when you find out that you know they show at the dinner and everybody's in there and it's like that big old fat lady and oh that's the lady we saw in the store that was the redneck that was you know but basically yeah i I get what you're saying like they're they're a little bit more um sophisticated sophisticated and 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 you know they have a a scheme as a family that they work together and and do things Whereas this is just right. just random ass family that is it just looks like they hang out at their store all day and that's all they do. So exactly, and I don't want to go too far off on a tangent here about Texas Chainsaw, but you're right. In the remake version of Texas Chainsaw, it very much is like this. In the original version, it's not though. But again, the remake was made in the early 2000s, and the early 2000s are just ripe for this kind of content. Yeah, yeah. and and we had, you know, the other connections were there, too, with, like, uh, Wrong Turn and other movies like that. that, Absolutely, yeah. Held all these connections. So, yeah, that was definitely an early 2000s um, heavy trope. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, as they're leaving the general store, um, they're walking out with their big cases of beer, and Dennis's dad walks out and stops Bert and reprimands him for stealing a Snickers bar. And he's like, now, why would you steal a Snickers bar? And Bert is just like, the nougat? I'm just like, I literally almost face-palmed during that that line. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, and then it, like he walks away after giving the Snickers bar back, and he just looks up at his friends, and he's just like, what? And it literally just cements his character as just being this stupid, like, frat boy per- personality kind of guy. And I, I hate everything about his character. And to think that when I was younger and watched this movie, I almost sympathized for Bert. I don't know why I ever did. Because he was, like, the funny one, I guess, is why I was like, oh, you know, I kind of like this character. As an adult looking on it now, I'm like, he deserves everything that's coming to him and more. <laughs> yeah, I struggled to like, so, like, you mentioned it already, <laughs> but I struggled to like any of the characters in this movie, honestly. Yeah, they're all just kind of a very unlikable cast. Um, the only one I felt a little characters. bit bad for was Marcy, I think. Or, well, is it the blonde? Is that Marcy? I can't remember the name. That's Karen. Karen. Yeah, Karen. She's the only one I felt bad for. There, yes, I understand that. I she would be the one I would feel the worst for. 
Um, but she also does her little flip floppy thing too. So I, there's there's issues with her as well. Uh, there's just issues with every character. And I'm not trying to say that characters have to not be flawed. In fact, I think flawed characters make a movie better. But these are just like literally you gather the worst group of people you could have made to make this movie and it's just like be the worst versions of yourself you can possibly be <laughs> yeah so they all head out to the cabin um and like i said it's this cabin out in the middle of nowhere um even though it seems like it's not in the middle of nowhere because they find houses very easily yet it's still secluded i don't know there's like i said there's a lot of incontin continuity um throughout this entire film but they're out of this cabin um and basically the second they get there, Jeff and Marcy go to have sex because that's what they're going to do the entire time. Um, Paul and Karen head down to the lake to swim in the, in the lake. And Bert takes a, what he claims to be a BB gun, which is obviously not a BB gun, out into the woods to hunt squirrels. And they ask him why he's going to hunt squirrels. He responds, because they're gay. And at that moment, I was like, Jesus, this is such a 2000s movie. It's not even funny. Like, yeah. Again, they're beating it over the head with this. Yeah, um, it, it definitely slaps you in the face, and and this is one of those times. And I, I, I'm not trying to like just pile on it. It's a movie that I enjoyed for what it is, but man, this movie does not stand up to the test of time very well at all. It absolutely does not. No, it 100 percent does not stand up to 2021 standards at all. <clears throat> um, now I will say. One of my favorite parts of this movie actually is right here where they're all doing their own thing and we get this kind of like very quirky montage sequence of all of them doing their own thing. And it's 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 funny, but it's also like we know this is the calm before the storm hits and so we know what's coming. But I enjoy kind of like the whimsical music that's playing in the background as Bert shoots and misses squirrels and like is cussing himself and, you know, Jeff and Marcy are having sex in the cabin and Marcy flips him over and shoves a finger up his asshole. Um, <laughs> and then we have this very kind of like intimate moment between Paul and Karen where we realize, oh, they're not actually dating. They're just friends. Yet Paul is very much into Karen. And then she kisses him on the, the raft and then flips over into the water and swims away. And he's like, weren't we just kissing? And she's like, yeah, we were. You're right. And so there's something between the two of them. But nothing has happened yet between the two of them. Um, yeah. But I, I do like that little sequence there. Yeah, um, so. it, it was fun. But for my military side, oh, my gosh, I was cringing so bad at Bert shooting that gun because he's literally holding it, like, down by his hip or his belly yeah. almost. Like, the, the butt stock of the rifle is clear down by his belly. He's trying to shoot a squirrel without even holding it up to his eye to aim, like, just so many wrong things are going on here. You could definitely tell the oh, exactly. guy had no business shooting a gun whatsoever. So it was... Not to mention he's carrying a beer around the woods, too, drinking the entire time while he's doing well, it. Well, I don't, I don't hate on that. I mean, <clears throat> I like drinking beer. So. <laughs> he's like, that's, that's, a, that's a good way to go hunting. You take a beer <laughs> out in the woods and just chill. Yep. Um, but while Bert is hunting... Uh, he stumbles across what he believes is a groundhog and he shoots at it and hits it and realizes it's not a groundhog. It's actually a human. And the human who pops out of the ravine that was, that he shot at is actually the hermit from earlier who is far more disfigured now than he was before. He's crying for help. He's saying, you, you know, he has this disease. He needs help. 
and Bert yells at him to stay back or he'll shoot him again uh, and shoots the ground and then runs off away from him. Yeah, um, you can tell he's visibly looks sick. Um, and, you know, his eyes were were blackened around his eyes. His face was uh, right. red and swollen, and uh, it, you could definitely tell at this point like this is our first introduction to other than the dog obviously being dead um but we don't mm-hmm. know the reason why the dog's dead or or how it you know was basically gutted um but this is our first introduction to really noticing that hey this guy or you know hey th- you know there's something going on here with a you there's know, some, some kind of, of a, virus or something going on yeah, yeah some kind of a disease going on yeah for sure yeah so um bert heads back into towards the cabin and when he gets back he doesn't say anything about the the hermit he doesn't say anything about you know the guy he saw in the woods uh instead he just gets berated for setting a fire to the fireplace um or to the uh campfire site uh and he's like what it's there's supposed to be a fire there but when you watch him do it he sets a ring of gasoline around the outside of it and then sets it on fire instead of in the actual <laughs> like campfire ring yeah i got um, i got a huge kick out of again, that part too because he he literally yeah. like you can see like the stones around the you know the actual fire pit and then there's like a, a fire pit a, that's the word i was looking yeah. for i could not think of the word fire pit. there's a fire pit there <laughs> and then there's a ring of like I think it was stones or maybe logs that were turned up on their side for for seats around the fire, and he just literally right. lights the entire ground between the fire pit and the seats and on fire, and <laughs> and then he just and then walks, and then he walks away. away. Yeah, then he walks away. Like, yeah. this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and then he comes back to find Jeff and Marcy putting the fire out, and they yell at him for it, and he's like, "What? You know, there's a fireplace. It's supposed to be fire." And it kind of dissolves into night, and we see they actually have a campfire going, and they're all sitting around outside on the campfire. Um, and they bring up this idea that they want Paul to tell a story from his childhood that was traumatizing to him. And Marcy says, I believe it was Marcy, she says a quote um, that trauma brings people closer together. And Paul says, well, yeah, those who go through it together, not people reliving my trauma as a kid. Um and that's kind of ironic because obviously we know what we're about to get into here with this whole movie. So it kind of sets up the idea that they're going to go through trauma together. Um, and Paul tells this story and you might have another idea as to why this story is important. Maybe it's just a time filler. I don't know why this would even be traumatizing to him because he didn't live through it. It's just a story that happened at a place he liked to go. Uh, there was this place called Brighton Bowl. And when he was a kid, his dad used to take him there to bowl, but one day his dad would not take him there, and it turns out that the night prior, um, a disgruntled employee set up, like, broke in, tied everyone up, set all the employees in a circle around each other, and then took a hammer and one by one killed every employee. So, like, forced the uh, the employees to watch their friends die and then know they were going to be next to die. And then once he was done with that... He took a hatchet and chopped them all up and apparently bowled with their body parts. Um, he even mentions uh, the smiling bald guy who was really creepy that always gave out the shoes. When the police got there, they found his head in the ball return and he was still smiling. <laughs> so, <laughs> And even you telling me that. the story. They, they, laugh, what? they laugh in the movie when he gets to that part. And even you telling me that makes me laugh too because it's so, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And they show the severed head like rolling down the and, – and it's like a cut flash scene. So like it does feel like it's a it's a – um, uh, you know, a dreamy type scenario when they're telling it, uh-huh. and 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 maybe just like a, 
almost like the people are picturing it as he's telling it kind of thing. So you, you're not getting a, a, you know, it's not like a cut scene where they show legitimately what happened. It's, it's, it, it makes it feel very cartoonish the way they did it. And, oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and his head, and then you just see his head and it's smiling. And then you cut. It, <laughs> it's just bouncing into the little ball return. Yeah. Right. And then it cuts back to the, it cuts back to the, the campfire and, it, and the guys are just start, they just start busting out laughing. And I can't help but like do the same from seeing it. But then you think about the horror of that in itself. If you were in that scenario listening to that story, it would the way I pictured it. I don't know that necessarily that Paul was telling this because it impacted him so much as he was just trying to tell a scary story around a fire because that's what people do, and and True. you try to make it feel um, almost like you know when when we tell stories here about the Abaguchi in West Virginia or whatever it might be, you want to make it as relatable and real as it you can make it feel so that it makes it feel scarier to those people that you're telling it to. I think that's kind of right. Like you want to add a personal level to it. Cause like a, you live through it's therefore it has to be scary. Right, you know? Right. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of the way I took that scene, but just still couldn't help but laugh with the smiling face that it, it's, de- Oh no, I know it, it, it's it was- demented, but it's <clears throat> funny too. It's very, de- you're right. It's a hundred percent demented, but it was a funny kind of moment in that scene. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so after Paul gets done telling the story, um, they hear someone walking up behind them, and they all turn, and here we see uh, a man sitting behind them with a dog. This is uh, Eli Roth is actually playing this character, whose name is Grim. Uh, his dog's name is Dr. Mambo. So love the name. I, if I ever have a male dog, I'm going to name him Dr. Mambo. Um, <laughs> so... At first, they try to turn him away. Like Jeff is like, "Hey, this is a private, you know, thing. Please leave." Uh, but when Grim pulls out a big bag of weed, he's like, "Well, how am I gonna smoke all this by myself?" They're all immediately just like, "Oh, okay, no, no, come on, come on, sit down, come sit down with us." Um, and he literally says at the campfire for maybe thirty seconds before it starts thundering, and he's like, "Well, if it's gonna rain, I better go back to my camp because I have all my stuff laid outside my tent, and I don't want it to get wet." So he goes and he leaves. So he's in the scene for. What two minutes of on, on screen time? Yeah, yeah, not even. I don't think it was. It was very short. Yeah. So he says he'll be. He it takes him twenty minutes to get back to his campsite. He said he'll be right back. If he runs, he'll be back in like thirty minutes. So he heads off into the woods, and the kids go inside to wait for him as it starts raining. Um, even though I don't believe the rain ever comes, because we see outside again in just a minute, and it's not raining outside. Um, so they go back inside. And a few minutes later, someone knocks on their door, and when they go to answer it, it is the hermit again. And he's even more disfigured than he was before. Like, his skin is starting to peel off of his face, he's covered in blood, um, and immediately, like, Jeff and everyone starts freaking out, and Bert is, like, pulling his hat down in front of his face because he doesn't want to get recognized by the guy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Marcy, I'm sorry, not Marcy, Karen is like, we need to help him, we need to get him to the hospital, he's very obviously sick. Jeff is like, no, stay away from him. Um, and whenever the hermit notices Bert, Bert slams the door in his face. Um, and as he does this, they all run over to the window because they notice that the hermit starts getting into their car. Um, and so obviously none of them want him to take their car. So they go out, they kind of like arm themselves with weapons. Like Marcy grabs an, or Karen grabs a knife and 
Bert grabs his gun and everything. Uh, Jeff grabs a fire poker. Um, mind you, this takes them like a minute to grab everything. The car has already started. I don't know why the hermit didn't just drive off with the car. Yeah, the, it, you know, horror movie got a horror. Um, horror movie got a horror, yes, 100%. I got it in first. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> it's definitely one of those parts where you're just like, why in the world is he still sitting there? If he really wants to steal this truck, he should just be taking off. But yeah, right. plot, plot, you know, plot holes got to be there for for the uh, main characters to catch up. So exactly, and I I think if we were going to reason like rationalize why he didn't drive off in that moment, it could be said that the virus is affecting his like you know uh, mind and everything to where he can't really do a lot because when you see him in a few seconds here. He doesn't respond to what the kids are saying. He only says, I need help, and like doesn't back up when they say stop or anything. So I don't know if he's just like too far gone at this point to even understand what he's doing, yeah, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point because um, you know, he definitely was uh, uh, you know, out of sorts, not himself, um, even worse from what you saw at the very beginning of the film. And then even after um, Bert shot him, you know, he was still coherent and, you know, could could form sentences and was talking and stuff. So, right. so at this point, you know, when we're seeing him at this at this time, absolutely makes it wouldn't make sense. It could be, you know, described that he was very, um, you know, disheveled and couldn't put things together, couldn't process things quite as quickly as he would have if he was full health. So, yeah, that would make sense. Right. <clears throat> so while the hermit tries to steal the car, the kids all run outside and Jeff starts beating the back of the seat with the fire poker, telling him to get out of, uh, out of the car. And the guy obviously does not. And as he's doing this, he begins vomiting blood all over, um, all over the car, just speeding it up all over the windows on the windshield, on the dash, everything like that around him. Um, and this is kind of one of the first moments we get where it's just extremely bloody, yeah, this this, um, this scene. Yeah, I mean, when you see the the vehicle afterwards, like you know, we'll talk about it here in, in a minute. But when the the there's a, a cop that comes and visits, and it, yeah, how he could see that vehicle and not be like, um, what the fuck happened here? This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I have that in my notes. It, yeah, <laughs> it's it, yeah. I mean, it it looks ridiculously bad. I do not so, want to be the person cleaning that up. No. Uh, um, so eventually, after you know, prodding him with uh, like breaking a few windows and prodding him with the cat, uh, not cattle prod, with the fire poker, uh, Bert shooting the car a couple times. Uh, the hermit gets out of the car and makes his way over to Marcy and Karen, um, and Paul jumps in front of them with a flaming stick and accidentally sets the man on fire, where he then runs off into the night, into the woods. Um, and disappears out of sight. Now, obviously, they're all very distraught from this whole thing. The car is covered in blood. Uh, it's it's now, like, not even working because they shot at it and everything. Um, and so they go back in, and Marce, uh, I keep getting Marcy and Karen confused. Karen keeps saying we need to go help him, um, but Jeff kind of brushes it off saying, well, if he's not already dead, the rain will put him out, you know, from the fire. Um, so... They kind of brush this off uh, and kind of move on with themselves, but they have this uh, back and forth between whether or not they should call the cops to get someone out there 
and kind of confesses to what happens because they all agree it was an accident. They didn't mean to set him on fire. Uh, they were kind of doing it in self-defense, and this guy came out there and trashed their car, so he was sick. They didn't want to get sick, so it was this whole kind of like just back-and-forth situation between all the kids here. Um, it's at this point where they're all talking. There's a part in the movie where Paul, I guess, is drinking tea, and he's putting honey into his tea, but then he like puts some on his hand and starts like playing in it. I... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why. And then, and I don't said, understand the purpose. He says something about the guy's skin. It seemed like he was um, just in a daze from everything that happened. And and you see, like he's got the he's got his hand up on the table. And this would make more sense if we were on a video podcast. So thank Ryan for not being right. video. But he had his. <laughs> it was not my fault. We don't have the uh, the studio anymore. Okay. He had he had his hand like his elbow on the table and his hand kind of dangling over the cup with the, with the honey on his finger. And it's just like dripping down off of his finger into his cup. And you hear him say the guy or his skin or something, something about the guy's skin, basically like as he's seeing the, the honey dripping off of his finger, he's imagining or seeing that guy's skin just falling off. Cause that's what the, mm-hmm. you know, this disease is doing to the man. And you know that's that's kind of what I I figured it was was just kind of like symbolism of skin falling off his body and everything. But it was just it's just an odd scene. It wasn't. I feel like. It was an odd scene, and it also um, you know kind of provides a plot hole for later. Um, if I won't cover it right now, I, but we'll cover it in a little bit. I don't know. Well, I know what you're referring to. I don't know if it's a plot hole now because technically, the water supply is not poisoned yet. Uh, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, because it's his body that does it, right? That's what we right. come to find yeah. out. Yeah, so. Exactly. So um, the next day, they all get up, and they decide they're going to go find help. Um, Bert and Jeff head off to go try to find someone to tow the truck. Uh, Paul is to stay at the cabin with Marcy and Karen. However, Marcy decides she's going to go find help herself. She's not some helpless victim. And so she takes off to go find help on her own. Um and so she heads in an opposite direction, which we'll get to her in a second because there's a scene where she's rowing on a canoe on the lake. I I don't that this is this is the point in the film where things start like not making sense in the timeline, um or or like the layout of where they're at. But Bert and Jeff head off and they uh, discover an old like farm, an old farmhouse, and they come across this lady who is cutting up a pig. And she cuts it open, and you see it's kind of guts fall out, and you realize the pig is infected with this disease uh, because its insides are already rotting. Um, and she's cussing this pig, saying that the butcher sold her bad meat. And she turns around, and she's like, she sees uh, Jeff and Paul, or I'm sorry, Jeff and Bert standing behind her, and she's just like, "Would you eat this meat?" And Bert's like, "I'm a vegetarian." Um, <laughs> and uh, she's like, this meat's infected. It's disease. It's it's rotten. It's no good. I can't eat this meat. I need to go. You need to go tell someone, you know, uh, about this meat. And they're like, we don't even know who this person is. We're just looking for help. Um, and then she says, well, I've already been in the town today, so you're going to have to find someone else to take you into town. Like <laughs> if someone's coming to your house to ask for help, I feel like you wouldn't just be like, I've already gone to town today. I'm not going to go back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, it just goes to show, and and it kind of carries over with you know from the from the uh, the store, you know, with the 
the rednecks there yeah. that the the people in this area where they're traveling are just very um they're set in their ways they're they're they are. old school old fashioned whatever however you want to say that and and you know a lot of people like even my grandma um my grandma and grandpa when i was growing up um you know i live in buchanan for those listeners that are familiar with buchanan and then my you know when i was growing up my grandparents lived in um selbyville which was a, about a half hour drive um from mm-hmm. buchanan and it's out in the country so it's not like a half hour you know uh drive that you'd be making on the interstate it's winding curvy roads and winding back roads. yeah yeah. so you know when they would come home they weren't making another trip into town you know like if 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 they were coming home from town that was their only trip they're not making another special trip they're going to wait till you know they need to go back again so they're that i guess you know i say all that to say like i get it like i understand especially if they're as remote as we're made to feel. I know you were saying like you know it, it, that we're led to believe like they're in this this cabin in the middle of nowhere, but then they go and find these homes. Um, I almost I think I, I kind of attribute that to um, what we, we always joked in the Game of Thrones, um, uh, you know, <laughs> world of jetpacking. You know, they, the uh-huh. the people can move across you know, countries, what, which the Game of Thrones world is made up, but the, the places that people would go from in the Game of Thrones in one episode would take them weeks and weeks to travel in real life where, you know, exactly. in, in this scenario, I think maybe, you know, they're, they're traveling a little bit longer or further than were shown in the film um, just for time's sake. I do think that they're probably a little bit further away than what than what it feels like because it happens so quickly. Um, and I agree with that. I, I definitely know that they're walking further than it's shown in the movie. Right. But it just seems like they go to these houses and back to the cabin like so quickly. Like not even the day, the sun hasn't even set yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, it does feel quickly. Yeah. Very quick. But you know, it's yeah. hard to say too if it's a mountainous terrain and stuff that it would, you know feel secluded but there's a house on the other side of the mountain or you know a a, small hill or whatever you might might think exactly but yeah there there's definitely some some definite reasons to question why these people are able to find houses so easily um but at the same time you can almost explain it just as it's just time cut to make the film concise right So after the lady tells them that she's already been in town, she's not going to take them back in there, she says, well, we'll go, in, we'll go inside. We'll call Ricky. He'll come, like, get a tow truck to you guys, and we'll get, get your car fixed and everything like that. And so she takes them inside, and as she walks inside, um, she kind of asks, you know, what happened. And they explain that they were attacked by this hermit out in the woods, and uh, he broke up their car. And she says, hermit, well, I, I hope it wasn't Henry. Uh, my cousin Henry lives out in those woods, and they look over and they see a picture of the man who attacked them, the hermit who was infected with this disease. And Bert really quickly just like, "Oh, did we say hermit? We meant our friend Walter or something." He says, "He got too drunk and you know, uh, started just tearing stuff up." And the the guys quickly realize that this lady is uh, related to the man they probably just killed. So. They quickly uh, leave and say, you know, we'll, we'll get things figured out on our own. Thank you for your help. And they quickly run out of the house. 
And Jeff has a line that I actually like kind of laughed out loud at at the point here. They're running away. And he's just like, we burned Henry. <laughs> he's just like yeah. running away from her. He's like, well, we, we burned Henry. Yeah. And that was that I got a little yeah. chuckle out of that one too. Cause it was very, um, kind of whimsical the way he said it as he's running off. They're kind of, they're, they're exactly. running like little girls running away from, you know, they just told a joke to a bunch of kids and, Oh, they're running away or whatever. It, it just very, it felt very, uh, uh, sing songy almost. I don't know. Is it right? Right. Um, so they eventually make it to this other house. I'm going to talk about this part real quick because it's not really important. And also we don't ever really learn whose house it is. They're at, uh, but they make it to another house where Marcy catches up with them and we learn they never, they tell her they never found anybody. And so they decide just to head back to the cabin during this time. Um, back at the cabin, a deputy shows up to the cabin um, this is Deputy Winston, and by the musical score that's accompanied to him, we realize this dude is an idiot very quickly. And the way he talks and the way he discusses, like, just talks about parties, um, this dude's not the brightest, you know, crown in the box. Yeah, he and, and so and he's another character that has um, a terrible wig on as well. Um, oh, absolutely, made to yeah. look ridiculous. And he, in some form of the word, uses party or partying um, 15 times in his total. Did you count it? uh, uh, It's a fact on IMDb. Um, So he uses it in in its form 15 times during the movie. And he's only in the movie for, you know, maybe a total of five minutes or so. um, Exactly. And then at the very end of the movie. But um, one other cool fact that I saw was actually Eli... Um, Roth intended to play uh, Deputy Winston himself instead of the other guy, um, Grimm. And but the guy that ended up um, playing him, it says, gave such an impressive audition that <laughs> Eli Roth decided to let him keep that role. Which, okay, I mean, I thought the guy's acting was pretty shitty. I mean. I mean, it, it, it is, but it also fits the tone of this movie. Yeah. So I, I understand that, yeah. yeah. I, and and when you think about it, too, um, the, the budget for the film is only $1.2 million, I think. So they didn't right. have a big budget to begin with, so they were using what they could, what, or, you know, getting the best that they could for the money that they had. Um, exactly. But, yeah, it was, it was uh, interesting that Eli chose another person over himself to take this role because of a, an impressive audition when you go back and watch the film it, it you got to chuckle you're like it. really that guy <laughs> that guy won the role right. <laughs> um but yeah he's talking about you know how he's up there because he heard there were some disturbances last night and Paul kind of explains what happens and right away he uh he mentions that his friends were up here to you know hang out and party and that right there sets Winston off he's like oh you're here to party huh and starts talking about how much he loves partying. And it's even this whole conversation while they're talking, they're like leaning up against the truck that's covered in blood. And he doesn't even say anything about it. He's just like, yeah, I know some good parties around here. You know, it's a pretty good party town. And it's just this entire sequence. You're just like, this guy 
clearly doesn't have a clue what's going on, obviously. And, and, and it even gets to the point when he leaves, he rides off on a bike. Not, not a motorcycle, a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, he gets on it, and he and it has a little bell, too. Like, he rings the bell like uh-huh. my daughter has on her bike. Like, he's, he's ringing the bell as he drives off, or rides off on the bike. And he throws his helmet on, too, and it barely even fits on his head because he's got such a big wig on. Exactly. <laughs> Very ridiculous. And he calls... He calls um, uh, God. Why do I keep drawing a blank? Paul. Um, Paul. He calls him the party guy for the rest of the movie. Exactly. And we even get kind of a, another like continuity error here, but it's possibly also just Paul not realizing because they don't have a phone in the cabin. Uh, and Winston says, "Yeah, we all communicate through radios out here." But then when he leaves, he says, "Well, you know how to get a hold of me, right?" And Paul's like, "Call nine one one." He's like, "Exactly, party man or party guy, whatever." And it's like. Uh, how are you going to call him if you don't have a phone, Paul? Right. And then he also um, should point out, it, I, I was reading something, you may have mentioned it, but um, that he said that he would send a tow truck the next day. And it, it would, um, right. he'd be sending a tow truck the next afternoon. So that was the, before he left, that's what one thing that he pointed out. So after Winston leaves, um, Paul goes back inside and trying to comfort. Uh, Karen, he gives her a glass of water to calm her down. And it's at this point we see the dead body of the hermit in the reservoir. He had fallen in there and died, and the water was infected through with the virus. And Paul, unbeknownst to him, gives Karen this uh, cup of water, which infects her. She is one of the, she's the first one of the friend group who gets infected by this. Um, and so she drinks it and she goes to lie down and uh sleep and eventually everyone starts coming back and they talk about you know what's been going on but karen meanwhile is just sleeping the entire time she's been resting she's obviously not having a good time with what's happening she wants to go home because they just murdered a man as far as they know um and so she's trying to rest up and get her mind back together like paul and bert even go to clean the car at one point and they're talking um Paul even says, I don't know what's wrong with her. Like, they didn't just kill somebody. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? yeah. Obviously, she's going to have a hard time with that. Um, and while they're cleaning the car, actually, because it's like, I believe it's later that afternoon or the next day. I don't remember exactly how much time has passed. While they're cleaning the car, um, Dr. Mambo actually shows back up and starts barking at Bert and Paul. And to scare him off, Marcy comes out with the gun and fires it in the air, and the dog runs off. So something has gotten into the dog to make him act aggressive towards this group now. Yeah, and and they don't really even think about like, or even bring up Grim in the meantime either. Like, right. why is his dog running loose, or you know, is this even the same dog? We, you almost get a feeling that it could just be a random dog, but that you know, we come to find out later that it's not. So that it's not exactly. All right, so after Dr. Mambo runs off, after he gets scared by, uh, or scared by, Marcy's gun goes off, um, they all kind of go back inside the cabin, and here is where Paul's character starts kind of really going downhill for me. Um, He goes in to calm down, like to, you know, help Karen feel better, and she like seductively tells him to stay with her. And they lay in bed together, and they kind of fall asleep. But after they fall asleep, Paul wakes up later in the night, and Karen is still asleep. And other than them kissing on the raft, 
there's been no indication that they're like a thing. But I guess Paul kind of takes it upon himself to say that they are. And he begins kind of like, you know, rubbing her head and kissing her on the forehead. And then he like runs his hand down her body and goes under the covers. And he, you know, some stuff happens. And when he pulls his hand away, it is covered in blood and skin. (laughs) And it is gross. Yeah, the... It's one of those, like we said earlier before, um, with the spoiler alert, um, that this is not an easy watch. This is one of those scenes that makes you squirm and completely uncomfortable because the implications of this scene are something, you know, natural, but um, I'd I'd say as a teenager, something that you fear, (laughs) you know, the woman's monthly cycle or whatever you want to call it, um, is kind of what they're implying is happening here because at this point, we don't understand the virus and what's going on or the whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, We also know that Karen has it, but we don't know what exactly has happened to her yet. Right. And, and, And with this happening things really start getting super uncomfortable. And like you mentioned, yeah. yeah. And like you mentioned too, we're seeing, and what, what the, um, you know, wrestling fans would call the heel turn here of Paul. So, um, (laughs) it's definitely a time when you start disliking Paul a little bit more as the movie continues to progress forward. Exactly. Um, so, you, you re- kind of referenced that where we kind of think at first that this is uh, Karen starting her period. But I would also venture to say it's very much shown that it's not because when he pulls his hand away, it's a very gross looking blood that doesn't it doesn't look natural almost. And also there's like chunks of flesh on his fingers. And so it, I'll be honest, I was not looking close enough to notice that because it made me so uncomfortable. Like, oh, really? <laughs> I don't I don't look away for films that often. But that was one where I was just like, hey, I'm not really trying to watch this. Too I mean, closely. honestly, I don't blame you. It's a gross scene because then he pulls back the covers and we see on Karen's like inner thigh is just this giant wound that's covered in blood and almost instantly everyone runs into the room like i guess i don't remember does paul scream or something um or something happens that everyone's drawn into this room and of all the people karen asks bert for help (laughs) she's like bert please help me um that's the last person i'd be asking for help with this group Uh, uh, absolutely nowhere Um, near bert um Bird is nowhere near the top of my list for somebody that I'm asking for no, any kind absolutely of assistance not. from. <laughs> um, so the group kind of uh, all comes in and Paul goes off and washes his hand off. And I want to ask you a question, but I kind of want to save it for later because I want your opinion. I want to ask it now, but don't answer. We'll come back to it. I'm just going to say it now so you remind me we'll come back to it because if I don't, I'm going to forget about it. Okay. I wanted. I want your opinion on when Paul gets infected, like infected with the virus. I want to know when you think he first got infected with the virus, because we know it travels through the bloodstream. Um, so I want to okay. know what your opinions are on that. Okay, I put it in the chat, but I already know what I'm going to tell you. Okay, I'm sure we probably have the same answer, but I want to know because it, th- 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 this is kind of the point of the movie where it comes 
almost like the thing because it's like who's infected and who's not at this point, you know? Yeah, it's, and and how are they infected? We don't know if it's, you know, it it you can't help but carry these parallels to our current uh, state of affairs going on in the world right now. Absolutely. Um, so you're wondering, you know, is this something that they can catch airborne or you know, like we saw with the hermit, um, he just started spewing blood randomly out of his mouth. Um, right. At what point is the person sick enough that they're going to start spewing that blood on me? So mm-hmm. you don't know that either. So there's all these things that you're you're curious about. So, yeah, I, um, I have an answer already, but I'll, I'll save it for later. Okay. So the group kind of collectively decides they're going to quarantine Karen. And their best decision, rather than just leaving her in the room she's in, they're going to put her outside in a shed. And so they kind of carry out this mattress for her and put it in the shed. And we see Karen walking out covered in this bloody blanket. And she's already looking extremely sick. Um, she got, like, very much fever symptoms going on. Um, funny enough, because the story, the movie's called Cabin Fever. Um, so she's, she's looking very sickly, looking very flu-like at this point. And they put her in the uh, shed and they say, don't worry, Karen, we're not going to leave you. Someone will always be out here with you. That was a lie (laughs) because the next scene is them inside the cabin all talking, having left Karen outside in the shed by herself. And another little bit of like what felt felt almost uh, continuity issue um, based, but um, wasn't it dark when he was laying in bed with her? And all of that happened, and then all of a sudden it's light when they're walking her out. Um, yeah. And then the, you know, one part to this is this is where you start really feeling bad for Karen, um, because, you know, they're basically taking their best, you know, well not their best friend, but their friends, and putting her out in this, you know, for lack like of a better term, like a, a yeah, dilapidated out, you know, an outhouse or a shed type building. Um, by herself and locking her in it, and she just looks at them and and just says "fuck you" to all yeah. of them. Yeah, and you really like, um, you know, you it, understand why they're doing it, but you also feel terrible for her because she's, you know, they're basically just putting her in there to die. Right, and like like we said earlier, if there's any character in this movie that I feel bad for, it would be Karen. Yeah, exactly. Because and this, and this is that part where you st- you where you really like you peak feel bad for her exactly yeah um so the group the others go back inside they start talking about what they're going to do um what they're going to do next and this is the part of the movie where i I, my memory i literally just watched this like three hours ago and i'm already kind of forgetting the order of events here of things that happen um but i know like some time passes like a day or so passes because they're waiting for the pickup truck or the the tow truck to come back in and get the car But meanwhile, Bert's trying to fix the car. Um, And during this time where they're all talking, he ends up drinking some of the water. So Bert has now become infected because they make this quick little comment about how Bert has lost the bet. We didn't mention this earlier, but Jeff and Bert had bet that uh, Bert was only going to drink beer the entire weekend or the entire week. Both of them were only going to drink beer. And And whoever um, gave up first, first, yeah, was the loser. So. Yep. Right, so we get this quick little comment that Bert has lost the bet, and he's just like, fuck. <laughs> and then we as an audience know he has now been infected with this disease. Um, and so the next day it's shown Bert, 
like he's got the truck up and running he's fixed it and as he gets it fixed he begins to cough up blood because he has now been infected by this disease um he doesn't tell anyone else that he's infected with this disease though but they realize it pretty quick that he's been infected by it because they try to get Karen out of the shed um and obviously she's looking worse and worse by the second and as they're carrying her out to the shed she begins to cough up blood um just like the hermit did and so uh bert doesn't want to take the he's already he's already been affected by it and the other ones don't want to take a chance to get infected by him so he kind of just drives off on his own to go back into town and get help well um, and, and at one point um they said something about where they were going to put her because none of them wanted to sit beside her in the right. car and he said just put her up front and um and they're like, but you'll get infected. And he's like, I don't care. And you kind of see it in his face. Like he kind of shows like um, nonverbal cues of, you know, hey, I'm sick. Um, right. You know, and, and they kind of start picking up on the fact that, you know, hey, Bert, Bert has this too. So and then exactly. That, he's like and sweating and everything. So, yeah. And then that's when he jumps in the truck and, and takes off. Right. Um, so after Bert takes off into town. Um, Paul and Marcy are caring for Karen. Uh, they they both are like, they, it's almost like they don't care to get sick at this point because they're both touching her and like trying to help her up and everything. Because obviously it's still their friend. They don't want to just leave her there to die. Um, Jeff, however, doesn't give two shits about Karen. He runs inside the house, grabs two cases of beer and runs off into the woods <laughs> and just <Yeah>. disappears. <laughs> And, and this just carries on the, the you know, his asshole role. Um, but mm-hmm. the whole time, like, he's he's got, like, a, a handkerchief or something holding up to his mouth and his, right. his nose so he doesn't breathe anything in. And he's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And he, like, just takes off running through the woods and off, you know, where we go find him later on. But, um, you know, you're just <laughs> – you, you definitely realize that he has no – he gives zero fucks about his friends. Absolutely. He's only in it for himself at this point. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So uh, Paul and uh, Marcy put Karen back into the shed uh, while Bert's off into town. So we'll deal with Bert first, and then we'll get back to Paul and Marcy. Um, so Bert ends up back at the convenience store. Um, and the, okay, before we get to this, I forgot. There was one part... And this was the part I forgot about because, like I said, it all kind of mints together. The night before Bert gets sick, um, Paul goes off to find help on his own and comes across the farmhouse that Bert, Jeff, and Marcy all found that was like empty when they first got there. And here we just find that it's a man and a, a man and his wife that live there. And Paul gets chased off by the by the guy with a shotgun because he's looking in the window and sees his wife lying naked on the bed. Yeah. Um. Again, it's not important. That's kind of why I forgot it even happened. But I just wanted to mention that in case anyone was like, we didn't mention this scene. So that's kind of the part that happens there in the between. And then, like I said, all the rest of the stuff happens. So Bert's in at town and he goes to the convenience store and the dad is outside. And like I said, at this point, there's a sign in the background that says, don't sit near Dennis. And this part is so weird to me. This is the weirdest part of the entire movie. Um, Dennis... Stands Extremely up. weird. Yeah. yeah, Dennis stands up, and Bert's over by his truck. He's not even near Dennis. And Dennis starts screaming, pancakes, pancakes, and starts doing slow-motion karate moves through the space between him and Bert, runs up to Bert, and bites him. And I'm just like, 
what? I'm sorry. What? What is this movie? I'm I'm so confused as to what even the genre is supposed to be here. And so this happens, and obviously this angers Dennis's father, um, because now Dennis's father, Dennis has contracted this disease, and he says, "I've already lost one boy, and if I lose another, that's just like you murdering him." And he starts blaming Bert for his son biting him, when in reality, Bert didn't do anything to get bit. He just stood there. Right. And so, um, Dennis's father takes Dennis inside, and he grabs two of his friends to come out, and they begin to chase Bert. Um, I, I do want to mention, though, at this point, one of the friends of Dennis's father says, I should get the kit, and grabs this box. And I'm going to talk about the box now, because we never find out what's inside the box, but he carries this box the entire time. Do you think this town knew about the, the, the about the virus and the disease, and they are like immune to it, or what? What do you think the deal is with this? Um, honestly, I don't think that they did because of the ending. Um, so I think I think it's more of um, a first aid kit type thing that he's just getting because um, he knows that you know Dennis is about to be sick. Or something. I don't know. It's hard to say, honestly. Uh, that part, honest, uh, didn't even remember, or didn't even uh, register for me until after you just mentioned it again. So okay. I'd have to really go back and watch it again. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't get what's in it. It never is revealed what's inside the box. It's just a box he carries. He says, "I have to go get the kit" because he tells him about how he's sick, and he runs back in and grabs this box. And I, I, I can see your reasoning with that because you're right. The ending makes it very kind of obscure to where it would make sense that the town didn't know about the virus because of the ending. But at the same time too, I'm not sure what the whole deal is with that. Yeah. And, but one, one part I did want to point out, um, there was a a fun fact from the IMDB trivia uh, page with the pancake scene. Um, so they made that up during the filming process because the kid, um, (laughs) was practicing Taekwondo during a break <coughs> and Eli Roth saw him practicing and discovered that he was, you know, a black belt in Taekwondo. So okay. he wanted, he wanted to give him a scene, um, or, you know, where he gave him a chance to show off his skills. Um, so that's why you see, he literally like, he stands up, starts saying pancakes and he does like some really i mean impressive moves honestly it, it, like, honestly you're right it is good it is good taekwondo moves but like it's just so freaking random it's so off the wall and weird I, it, it kind yeah. of honestly it just makes that seem like again it's cringy humor it's 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 funny but you don't want to it's not funny as in like i'm actually laughing at this i'm laughing because it's so stupid right it and it, yeah it just it goes back to that whole thing where like I feel like I feel like one of these days Eli Roth is going to do an interview and tell us that that whole movie was meant to be a, a satire. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But yeah, it's, he gonna it's come definitely. out now that it's 2021 and we've had the the coronavirus pandemic go on and be like this movie. You know, it was a precursor for Corona. Yeah. <laughs> Just like no, no, it wasn't. You <laughs> shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Well, and then he, they remade it in 2016, so he kind of lost that chance. So. Exactly. They should have remade it now. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so, anyway, Bert gets chased off by these three men, um, and we get this like little chase sequence, but we'll get back to Bert here in a second. Back at the cabin, 
uh, Marcy and Paul are sitting there worrying about whether or not they're going to get the disease, whether, what's, what's going to happen. And Marcy has this little monologue where she talks about how this whole scenario is like a plane that's crashing. It's like you know you're going to die, um, and so you just want to grab the person next to you and fuck the shit out of them because you're going to be dead anyway soon. And literally the very next shot is Paul and Marcy having sex. And <laughs> yep, and and this was actually the scene that I was, I was gonna say. Talk this is probably about. the scene you were gonna talk. Yeah, so yeah. go ahead and give me your facts, and then we'll talk about this. Which it's funny because you know we talk about we talked about it at the, at the beginning of the movie where you know Marcy and and Jeff um, you know start having sex the second they get to the cabin, and you see her uh-huh. completely naked, and you know there's there's little left to the imagination. Well, so she. You know, trying to avoid being typecast as the new chick, um, she didn't want to show her butt in the movie, um, but she showed her boobs in the sex scene earlier. So I don't, it didn't really make sense to me. But this that is was her the, condition is no butt. So yeah, so it said um, she would only show. They they hammered out a compromise. Um, the the actress and, and Eli Roth. Um, that she would only show one inch of her ass in the movie, no more or no less. So when they uh, went to okay. film that scene, um, they actually got a ruler and literally measured one inch of her butt crack and then taped taped <laughs> the, bed the bed sheet to her ass <laughs> at the designated level before the scene was shot. So then... Um, then it says, ironically, Vincent later volunteered to bear her breasts in a scene that didn't call for them. So she showed her boobs in the earlier scene, but like in the later scene in the movie, she doesn't. She won't show anything but her like one inch of her butt crack. So, I mean, good for her for having you know what she wants out of this movie, but I don't know that that's gonna not typecast her as someone who just gets naked in films. Yeah, because literally one she, inch. Right, but then she literally shows her tits in an earlier scene. So right, I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, at least she was willing to do that because I have seen movies before where like the directors were kind of just skeevy perverts that made the actresses get naked even though they didn't want to. At least in this film, she she was willing to do that because I hate reading interviews with actresses who are like, I did not want to do that scene, but I was forced to do it basically. Right. So. At least she had her standards, and they followed through with that. Um, that's all I gotta say about that, I guess. <laughs> um, one thing about Marcy, though, before we continue on, I didn't mention this earlier, and I meant to. When she walks up to the farmhouse that Bert and Jeff are at, um, since we were talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre earlier, have you seen the original Texas Chainsaw, the seventy uh, seventy nine version or seventy eight version? I have. It's been probably 20 years since I've seen it or 15 years. It's been a while. Okay. So there's a scene in that movie that's super iconic now, um, where the camera's really low to the ground. And as one of the characters is walking up to the, the Sawyer farmhouse, we see like an upshot at her and her like butt cheeks are kind of hanging out in her low cut shorts. Oh yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about where she's walking towards the house and yeah, right. They exactly reenact this scene with Marcy and in this movie. It's funny because it's funny you mentioned that part because um, at one point in this movie, my wife was watching this movie, a little bit of it with me, and 
she saw that and she goes, she doesn't even have a nice enough butt for them to be focusing on it. <laughs> I was like, you got a really good point because it wasn't a, that good of a butt. But like, if you remember in the remake of Texas Chainsaw with with Jessica Biel, they did mm-hmm. and they did the same scene and um, her butt was definitely worthy of the the screen <laughs> of that shot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up really quick while we were talking about Marcy, but. Um, but and then another thing that I wanted to bring up about Marcy and the part leading up to this is there's actually, um, and I'm trying to find it right now, um, if I can find it here. Uh, so the first symptom of Marcy, well, go ahead with the movie and remind me to go come back to this part because it, okay. I, I want to get to the next scenes before we get to this scene or this right. part. So, when Paul and Marcy go to have sex, there's a one quick line that Paul says that um, kind of implicates that Marcy has already been infected with this disease because he says, what, you don't use condoms? And she's like, no, I'm clean. And so, they have sex, and then after they get done, Paul walks into the bathroom and grabs Listerine to wash his dick off. And (laughs) it's just like he's pouring it over... And it's the brown Listerine, too. So if you've ever used the brown Listerine, you know how potent that stuff is. Well, and <laughs> during during the scene where they're having sex, you see Paul um, grabbing her back and running, uh-huh. her, running his fingers, you know, fingernails down her back, like basically scratching her really hard. But as he's doing that, you see, like, her back actually, like, is leaving really strong red marks that mm-hmm. you wouldn't see necessarily that quickly or that um, pronounced at that It's, that it's basically time. bruising her back, yeah, which wouldn't normally happen in that situation. Exactly, yeah. Right. Like, she even she even remarks in a, like, in a later scene, she's like, man, Paul, you really did a number to my back. Um, but we come to find out very quickly that it was not Paul that did that. Correct. So, well, it was, but it wasn't. It, it was, but it wasn't, exactly, yeah. So after they have sex... Um, both of them immediately regret it because obviously Paul is in love with Karen and Marcy is dating Jeff. And so Marcy goes to take a, take a shower and Paul walks off to kind of clear his head. Um, and Paul, while walking, he comes across the reservoir and finds the dead body of the home of the hermit. And here's where we, where he realizes that the water supply has been poisoned with this virus um, and we get another classic horror scene where he ends up falling into the water with the dead body and it makes my skin crawl because anyone who's listened to this show knows anytime someone falls into water with a dead body, it makes me absolutely un- like so uncomfy. Not even funny. Um, <laughs> but he uses like a stick to poke over the body because he has to be sure that that's the hermit that they killed. And he kind of climbs down into the water a little bit on this uh, ladder. And of course, the ladder breaks. And like I said, he falls into the water. Um, and so this is kind of where we get the mix of when did Paul become infest, in, infected? And I want to know, I want to go ahead and have you answer now. At what point do you think he became infected? Was it during sex? Was it in this scene? Was it earlier? What do you think? It was when he had sex with That's Marcy. 100% what I think too, yeah. Otherwise, there would be no point to even mention the whole condom thing. So, um, going back to that, um, there's actually a short little, uh, and 
I didn't even catch it. I had to, um, you know, I have to go back and watch it again to, to pay attention to it. But um, the first sign or symptom that Marcy shows of her illness, um, they the the main one is you see the red shaped marks coming down her back from Paul. But prior to that, just prior to the um, when you see that in the scene where Bert and Jeff abandon all the other people um, that you can see a similar lesion on her left wrist just below her watch so it's an earlier hint of her having the illness already so if you're paying close attention you would notice that she'd already been infected um, but they give you more hints during the scene that she is infected and therefore that's why I believe Marcy is the one who gave it to Paul during the sex scene okay so let me ask you then, when do you think she became infected? Um, I would and say... And obviously there's no right answer for this one, because I, I have several theories about what, how she became infected, so I want to hear your thoughts on it. I would say, uh, if I had to guess, it was probably during one of the chaotic scenes where mm-hmm. um, Bert was spewing, or where... Um, What's her name Karen. was sick and Karen was spewing blood and stuff and she was helping Karen out. Uh, I would say probably during that time is when she got infected sometime that's, from Karen. That's like the mo- most logical thing. I think um, another theory could possibly be because there's well, one scene where she makes chili for everybody and it's possible. I, I don't know when the last time was I made chili, but I do believe you put water in it, maybe, to make the like the stew section of it. At um, least some water, maybe. Not, well, I, I make chili quite a bit. I don't ever really use water unless it's too thick. Um, right. So it really just depends on what your um, ingredients are as to whether it would be needing water or not. So right, and I, I, guess, I didn't know if maybe that would have been what caused her to become infected. So That or... Um, you know, you'd also have to wonder, is boiling going to kill off the bacteria that's causing this virus to spread or not? Exactly. Um, so, you know, I think it it's more likely that she got it, you know, while she was caring for care, caring for Karen. Wow, that's, a, <laughs> that's a tongue twister there, but that's when I think she probably got it. And I agree with you. I think that's the most logical point where she would have become infected. Um, so I, I think that's probably what what happened there. Um, but regardless, she's been infected now, so has Paul, and Paul has now discovered that the water supply is what's causing them all to become sick. Um, meanwhile, while this is happening, I was going to cut back to Bert really quick before we get to the infamous shower scene. Um, the scene that everyone's skin crawls on in that scene. Um, Bert is being chased through the woods by these guys now. His car has broken down once again, um, and he leaves kind of like a a trail of blood on a tree and then goes the opposite direction to throw them off um, and then heads back towards the cabin. So that's kind of what's going on with Bert while this whole thing's going on with Paul and Marcy. Um, So Paul has discovered the water supply is poison. He quickly runs back to the cabin. Meanwhile, Marcy in the shower is deciding to shave her legs. And here we see her back once again, and we see that her back is starting to be starting to deteriorate. It's it's the skin starting to fall off of her back. Um, and as she shaves her legs, she begins to peel her skin off. <laughs> yeah, and and you're just wondering too, like you're sitting there, okay, 
people around you are dying of this skin infecting disease, you're literally infected and you you probably got a pretty good idea that you are. Why the fuck do you care to shave your legs right now? Right. And then and and you see her, she's shaving one leg and she's sitting there, she's sobbing as she's doing it. And this leg's coming off, and you're just waiting for that moment where just skin's gonna peel as she's as she's uh, you know shaving, you know making a stroke of, with her razor, mm-hmm. and then she switches legs, and you're like, oh okay, so she's good, and she switches legs, and she starts shaving that one, which you have to you have to believe, because as she's doing it, you see, you have to believe that she had already seen this these lesions on her leg when she put the shaving cream on. Right. Like they wouldn't have as, appeared that quickly. Yeah. That, and cause as she's shaving it off, you s- literally see like it's already, her leg is already like chewed up. So why exactly. in the world is she even bothering with this? It, other than just to make our skin crawl. Is other, the it, I, that's exactly what it is. It's another horror movie, got a horror situation where it's, it's meant to gross you out. And that's it fucking did. And it does. It, it literally does. It doesn't, this scene to me is not as bad as some scenes in Hostel, which I've already mentioned a million times with the Achilles tendon scene. But still, yeah. my skin my skin crawls during this scene just as much as any others. Um, so after she realizes that her legs are falling off, basically, she runs outside um, where Dr. Mambo is now back and she gets attacked by the dog and gets absolutely ripped apart and shredded by him and killed. Um, yeah, like is making a comeback here. Exactly, yeah. Um, so Paul arrives back at the cabin probably minutes after this happened um, and finds uh, Marcy's body kind of all over the place. Uh, and then he goes into the shed where he finds Dr. Mambo feeding on Karen. She's laying in the shed with her back turned to him, and the dog is just eating her back. Um, and so... The wasn't, dog attacks Paul. Wasn't it her face? Was it her face? It might have been her face. I think it was her that, face because then he rolls her over. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, for, for some reason, when I watched it this time, it looked like her back was turned to him. But I think you're right. It was her face. Well, her back um, was turned to to her back was turned to Paul. Okay. So okay. when he walked in, you just see like her hair. Um, like she's laying on her side, basically like in a fetal position, sort of. Yeah. And you see her hair, and the dog is just going at her face. Yeah, you're right because of what happens next. On okay, I I messed that up. I apologize. Um, you but should. regardless, I know I'm I'm so, I'm so awful. Um, but regardless, Doctor Mambo then turns on Paul. Paul's able to get the gun back in his hands, and he shoots and kills Doctor Mambo. Um, and then he walks into the shed to discover what is left of Karen and he rolls her over and you see the absolute just defiguration of her face here at this point. Uh, she kind of looks like, she looks like a zombie, like the way it, she's alive still, but she looks like a zombie. Yeah. And like her lips are completely gone. Uh huh. Um, her nose is gone. It's just like, you can see the holes for all of her tendons and everything are exposed. Yeah. And, and you can still hear her kind of, um, almost whimpering, like, like just, um, not not trying to talk, but just basically just in pain is exactly the way you can tell. Um, but one thing I want to ask you before we go to this next part that happens: Do you think Doctor Mambo was infected, and and that's why he was acting crazy, or because 
you don't really get an explanation. This guy, this dog has been going nuts around these people and acting aggressively towards mm-hmm. them for what's amounted to basically two days now. Do, do you, and but we see this infection like progressing really rapidly in humans. Right. Um, do you think he's infected and that's why he's acting crazy, or why would he even be acting this way towards humans? I believe he's infected. Um, we don't know how it affects like dogs necessarily. We only get the indication of that from the very first dog in the beginning of the film. Um, we don't know how that dog acted before he died. So we're not, I'm I'm not sure what the kind of virus does to the, the canine system versus a human system. Um, but I definitely, I definitely get the vibe that he was infected by this. And I think that in animals, this virus makes them aggressive before they begin to die. That's kind of my understanding of how this thing works. The only reason I'd question that, and maybe I'm looking too far into it, maybe I'm trying to make this more analytical than it needs to be, but... um, No, that's fine. Go ahead. That's the whole point of the show. Right. Um, But in in that opening scene, the man, you know, the hermit, when he comes up, he's like being playful and excited to see his dog, um, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to give him a treat essentially. And he's like, Hey, wake up, buddy. Wake up, buddy. If, if he had been acting aggressively toward him, I don't imagine that that guy would be coming up to his dog, trying to act friendly to him in that scenario. Do you understand where I'm going? No, I completely get what you're meaning. Yeah. So like if, Um, if, if the dogs are made aggressive because of the disease prior to it overtaking their bodies and, and, you know, um, basically dilapidating them, um, then uh, it doesn't show it prior to very well, or it doesn't give you the, um, impression that that's why, um, Dr. Mambo would have been acting. Exactly. Then the only other explanation I can think of, if he wasn't infected by it, um, and this again, this is a very big stretch because the real reason I think this is happening is solely because for plot convenience. Um, my only explanation I can give, and again, like I said, this is reaching very far, is that Grimm somehow had something to do with this whole situation. Grimm somehow was the mastermind behind this, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, and planned on killing these kids but didn't expect it to get so out of hand and have his own dog turn on him because when we find Grimm later on he's been eaten like ripped in half and eaten so okay yeah I I don't know if like I'm saying 100% that's a reach so I don't know I, I can't I can't think right now of a rational explanation other than the fact that Dr. Mambo was infected that he would become so aggressive because especially seeing what happens to Grimm later on in the movie i don't know right so if you guys listening have any ideas or thoughts let me know in the discord come on and join the discord links in the description down below and let us know your thoughts on that perfect opportunity to segue to the there you go there's a a little shameless plug right there (laughs) yeah come, come and join us we need some more conversation on the discord for sure so after dr mambo was killed um Paul goes back inside the shed and we find Karen in her disfigured form. Um, And out of mercy, he ends up killing her. Surely he could have just shot her 
but instead he decides to take a shovel and beat her to death with it. Yeah, this is where we start seeing a little bit more of Paul losing his, going off his rocker as exactly he's beating this woman who he beating cared her head for. In. Yeah, that yeah. he loved. You know, we're we're made to feel like and he's in love with her, and then he just ruthlessly beats her head in with a shovel. And it makes sense. The the mercy kill here makes sense. He he obviously sees that she's suffering. He knows she's not going to make it after this whole thing's gone down. But you you would figure he has a he has a gun. He could have just shot her and put her over misery versus beating her to death with a shovel. Right. Um, well, we also don't know it, where the, we also don't don't know where the gun is at this point either. Right. He just left it outside or something because after he shoots the dog, the screen goes red and then it cuts to whenever later. So. Um, but regardless, uh, Paul Mercy kills Karen and then goes back into the cabin. So sometime later, Bert, who is now like on the brink of brink of death, returns back to the cabin uh, and kind of quickly fills Paul in on what's going on. Because the next scene, we have Dennis's father and his two friends showing up at the cabin. They open the door up and Bert is sitting inside with the gun and one of Dennis's father's friends shoots and blows his head off with a shotgun. And as that happens, Paul attacks the man with the gun. The man with the gun shoots Dennis's father in the side. And then Paul stabs a screwdriver into the third man's head. Um, and then Cra- Paul... Crazy sequence of events here. Exactly. Paul's just on a murderous rampage now at this point. Um, and then he goes and finishes off Dennis's father by stabbing him in the back with a uh, with the sharpened stick that Bert had made earlier in the movie around the campfire. Um, and it's at this point I'm just like, I understand Paul being mad at these people because Bert I'm sure told him what happened, but Paul is just okay with killing people senselessly now, like. <laughs> yeah, he goes from being like what we, like I said, this heel turn happens quickly. Um, but we, you know, we go from what we see him at the beginning being like a you know the sweet, caring, loving dude that's uh-huh. like after the after the sweet, caring, innocent little girl, or not little girl, but the innocent girl of the film, and right. then he turns into this murderous, rampaging, you know, like psychopath, like in a mm-hmm. matter of hours. So yeah, definitely kind of a strange, or and, or or. Just just put this together. Holy shit. Are you going to make the same connection I was literally about to say right now? Just put this together. It's making him crazy like it made Dr. Mambo crazy. Exactly. It makes him aggressive, just aggressive. like the dog was. Yeah. Because technically, if you look at the title of this film, Cabin Fever, the whole idea of Cabin Fever is being isolated for so long, you like start becoming insane. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I draw from this is how it affects people differently. And that's what I'm thinking is what's going on here with Dr. Mambo and Paul is they both have whatever's in them to become hella aggressive when this is infected and when they're infected by it. Damn. I just put that together. Like right as I was talking. (laughs) So that's what I love about this show. You just make things happen like, like that. Just out of nowhere. You're like, Oh wait, this is what's going on. Yeah. You put pieces together that you don't think about until you're actually just talking it out. So yeah. So Paul has now killed all three of these men. Um, and as soon as he kills them, he starts running off to the woods because now he's the last one alive except for Jeff. But Jeff is hiding in the woods somewhere. He runs off to the woods yelling 
Jeff, don't drink the water. It's in the water. Uh, and he tries to go off and find help somewhere. So as Paul goes off looking for Jeff, he ends up finding Grimm's corpse, like I said earlier, in a cave. Uh, we see his legs, and he assumes it's Jeff at first, but then as we get closer, he trips over something, and we find that it's actually Grimm, who has now been ripped in half and eaten by presumably Dr. Mambo. Um, and so... Paul then takes the uh, the truck of the convenience store owner and drives out down the road trying to find help. And here we get a scene where he get he hits a deer, and it's the most like unrealistic looking deer I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's it's, it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> like the the legs come through the window and they're moving around, <laughs> and I I know for a fact that there was a production uh, person off camera with two fake deer limbs just going like back and forth with them oh yeah on a long <laughs> like, like two long sticks just sticking exactly through. yeah they and had probably never seen a deer actually move in their life because no it looks so nothing fake. realistic yeah nothing realistic exactly so now um and i mentioned that because literally the next scene we see paul and he's just covered in blood and that's because he hit this deer here um so paul ends up stumbling across a party uh and here he finds deputy winston who is partying with a bunch of underage kids. Um, and they all kind of stop and look at Paul because obviously he's covered in blood. And Winston's just like, oh, hey, it's party guy, you know? And he's just like talking to him like nothing's happened. And he doesn't, he's not covered in blood, basically. Um, and over the dispatch radio, uh, Winston gets a call basically saying that all this stuff has gone down at the cabin. It's They have reason to believe that there's still one or two alive. Uh, and they're infected with this disease, and if they see them, do not hesitate to shoot on sight. Um, and so the partygoers start telling Winston to shoot him and kill him, and Paul's just like, I need to ride out of here, Winston. Um, and he, he even asks, he's like, where was, where was the tow truck at? And Winston says, oh, the tow truck, you know, it broke down, and then I get another tow truck for that tow truck. <laughs> and yeah. just makes this elaborate story that's obviously so fake. Um, and so... so before you go too much further, um, okay. There, another fun little piece of trivia here. So during this, while they were filming this scene, you know where Ryder Strong is completely covered in blood. Um, they, um, he had gone for a walk in the woods between scene setups, so he's just kind of you know wasting some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were getting a scene set up. So while he's walking through the woods during the setup. He's um, he just kind of happens upon a group of hitchhikers or not hitchhikers, a group of um, like um, hikers, hikers or, you know, there is 35 schoolgirls. They're on a field trip. They're out hiking on a field trip and they lost their <laughs> shit when they saw him because he's this blood drenched dude just in the middle of the woods. Well, then they realized who he was. I guess he calmed them down by saying, no, I'm an actor, blah, blah, blah. And that, so then they lost their shit even more when they found out that it was Sean from Boy Meets World. So then (laughs) they're chasing him through the woods as he's blood soaked. And he eventually made it back to the film crew. And, so at that point, he's like, I'm never walking away from a scene again. Cause he just got chased by a bunch of, a literal sl- uh, swarm of probably college or you know high school girls on a field trip. That's hilarious. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
anyway, back to the, the party scene here. Um, the party goers start telling Winston to shoot him and everything. And Paul's just very calm at this point. He's like, so how about that ride, Winston? And one of the party goers comes up to him with a guitar and tries to hit Paul with it. And Paul ducks and he hits this kid behind him with a harmonica that gets jammed down his throat. <laughs> and then Paul beats the shit out of the kid with the guitar and everyone else runs off. And then Paul decides he's just going to take Winston's car. He knocks Winston out and takes his car. Um, or actually, he just doesn't. He, he just walks off, doesn't he? He doesn't even yeah. take a car. He just yeah. walks off. Mm-hmm. Um, but Winston falls down, like, barely conscious. And then the kid that's choking on harmonica falls down behind Winston and is wheezing. And you hear the harmonica playing <laughs> in his throat. And again, it's another one of those scenes you're just like, why? Why? <laughs> I mean, it, it is funny, but again, it's that stupid funny. And I'm just like, this does not belong in this movie. I get uh, breaking tension and stuff like that, but like, this does not belong here. Yeah. Um, and that happens several more times with the rest of this movie here. Just like stupid humor happens at this point. Um, because Paul goes out into the road trying to find a ride. Uh, and he finally collapses on the road and this trucker picks him up and then just drops him off outside of a hospital. Doesn't even take him into the hospital. He just drops him off on the outside and there's this dude riding up uh, on a wheelchair that sees Paul and then just turns around and just like, nope, and goes nope. back inside. <laughs> and, yeah, um, I noticed that part too and got a little chuckle. <laughs> he's just like, nope, not dealing with this, and goes back inside. Not for and me. And then the next scene is Paul finally on a gurney. He's in the hospital finally. And we get this scene. It's the scene I mentioned earlier in the, from the trailer that like actually scared me as a kid. But you see Paul looking in one of the rooms, and there's just this doctor that's dressed as a rabbit. I I have yep. no idea what the point of this is, other than the fact that Paul is starting to hallucinate. That's the only thing I can draw from this, is that he's starting to hallucinate and lose his mind even more than he already has. Yeah. Yeah, and um, another fun little fact from that scene. Um, if you look closely when he's rolling down the hall and you see the rabbit, that... Um, it, it, it's actually Dennis who is on the bed um, that's being cared for. And oh, really? Yes. And you see, you can tell if you look closely because it's a blonde kid, um, it, like awkwardly blonde, almost white blonde. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, you actually, the the rabbit is offering um, Dennis pancakes. I didn't even notice that. I need to go back and watch that again because it's a very quick, like, yeah, fast it happens so quickly. Moment. But if and if you if you notice when you look, it's it's actually that he's, he's he's offering, offering pancakes. Dennis pancakes, and in the credits for the bunny, the man in the bunny suit, it's actually listed. We'll never tell as who <laughs> who's playing the person who in played the bunny the suit. Mm-hmm. <coughs> That's hilarious. Um, I need to go back and watch that scene for sure because I, I definitely missed all of that. Um, but that's great. I love that a lot. Um, so my only thought with the rabbit before we move on, my first thought with this scene was that it was a reference to The Shining. Because, again, there's been a bunch of horror references in this movie, so I just assumed like the first time I saw this that it was a Shining reference. Um, but... Also, too, I understand that it's like him starting to lose his mind and hallucinate, and then what you just said with that being Dennis and the pancakes, that's hilarious. Um, um, you are correct, too, about The Shining. Um, okay. So, um, another, you know, stuff that you'll only hear here on 
the Final Girl podcast, or if you go, <laughs> or, or if you, if go. you go and read IMDb, um, it says in the hospital when Ryder Strong sees the bunny operating, it is a reference to The Shining, where Shelley Duvall sees previous Boom. hotel guests in creepy fancy dress. Hell yeah! <laughs> See, I know I know my horror. I know my horror stuff. Yep. Um. So. Later on, a couple like another scene later, uh, Paul is in the hospital bed, and we have a sheriff and two doctors talking to him. And the sheriff is asking where this disease came from. He needs to know what's going on to try to help him here. And Paul is too out of it to answer. He's very much just like mumbling and not really saying anything that's going to help them. And so the doctors say, We don't have the medical abilities to care for him here. We need to send him to a different county. Uh, and the sheriff basically just says, Okay, well, we'll deal with it. And so the next scene, uh, we find Paul lying in the back of Winston's cop car. And he tries to warn him about the water supply, but Winston just kind of shrugs him off. And the scene kind of just fades to black. He's just like, oh, hey, party man. How you doing back there? And and he's like, oh, you need some water? All I have is a 40, but I'll get you some water. Don't worry. And it's just (laughs) another one of those very unsettling scenes because we know now Winston's officially like not a good person. Um, and Paul is kind of like his fate's pretty much sealed at this point because he's just being taken to be disposed of at this point, right? Uh, by Winston, but we don't find that out till a couple minutes later because at this point we cut back to the cabin and here we have Jeff who emerges from his hiding spot and he arrives back at the cabin to kind of discover all the carnage that went down um, around the place, and I can just imagine. Being him, like if this was real, th- a real life situation, you show back up at this cabin where you were with your friends a few days later, and you just find dead bodies everywhere and like blood all over the place. It has to be shocking to find that kind of discovery. Yeah, but we see this guy's freaking. But he's happy. <laughs> yeah, his complete like bizarre mindset as he's walking around as he's as he's finding all this stuff, and he's like, "I made it! I did it!" Mm-hmm. I did it. I, we I get this very it. ecstatic revelation that he survived this whole thing. Right. And it builds it up so much that obviously you know something's going to happen here at this point. And so, obviously, he goes outside. He exclaims that he made it. He survived. And literally, as he says that, he gets a barrage of bullets pumped into his chest by the police officers who are outside. Yep. And so, he falls down dead. <clears throat> um, and... At that point, the cops begin cleaning up the mess of everything. They, they collect all the bodies and they throw them into a pile on the fire and burn them. Um, and it kind of starts dissolving from there. And as it does, we see two little kids walking onto the river and collecting water in a um, an igloo cooler and kind of fill it up with water. And we the camera pans up the screen and we see Paul's body lying dead in the water. So we know that he is also infecting the water source now as well. Not that it already wasn't infected, but these kids are filling up water from the river, literally downstream from where his body is. Um, and they take it back to the convenience store, and they make lemonade, and they start selling it to the cops and to everyone in town. And it becomes like this whole, like, uh, again, a whimsical music is played. Like, there's, like, gospel music being played while this scene's happening. It's a very happy moment, but we all know they're drinking the infested water. Yeah, and and it almost feels like it's like um maybe like a church or after church 
um, you know, everybody gathering at this place because, you know, like we said, this is a very small rural area. Uh-huh. And you, you'd have to imagine that maybe, well, and we see in the very beginning when they first stop at the store, like they, they get food there, like actually made to order food. So, right. um, you know, you would assume maybe that these people are gathering here after, you know, they, they've gone to church. Maybe it's, a, you know, like a Saturday afternoon, um, you know, routine that everybody just kind of comes and hangs out. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're having some kind of an event that everybody's gathered and these kids are making their lemonade and selling it for five cents a cup and everybody's drinking it. And you just see all these people drinking this, um, you know, lemonade that's been made from the infected water. Right. You even see a, uh, a guy grab a cup and he goes to his truck and gets it. And as he pulls off, it says on the side that it's like spring, natural spring water. Right. That he's taking out to the, to the world. So it kind of ends the movie kind of ends on this note that like everyone now is becoming infected and it's going to become like the end of the world scenario. Right. Here. Which is why I said earlier that I don't think that they were in on it. Right. It, it just, you know, there's, there's, there's questions there that I'm not quite sure how to answer uh, and everything. Cause I, I, I agree with you. I think it's definitely kind of a situation where they didn't know about it, but at the same time too, there's moments that hint that they did know about it, especially with the cops, like making sure that everyone's dead who had the disease. Right. So I, I'm not sure how to take this one way or the other. It's kind of a very uh, obscure ending in a way that you can kind of draw your own conclusion. But at the same time, it leaves you with a very not open ended ending, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels like it's wrapped up with a tight little bow, but then there's a lot of, if you look at it, um, under a microscope, you can find some things that would leave plot holes or, you know, opportunities for a sequel. Exactly. And this movie did get a sequel. I think it actually had, what, two sequels? Um, um, let's see. Yeah. Yes, there were two sequels two and a sequels. remake. So there's and, yeah. Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever, Cabin Fever Patient Zero, and then Cabin Fever, the remake 2016. I've never seen any of those. So I, I don't I, know. I do want to go watch the new one the 2016 one i don't have any interest in watching the old ones Um, right just because um for those of us which i'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast then you're probably used to watching a lot of scary movies and um you know they get worse as they go uh, in a lot of cases most of them not all of them exactly i do know that uh eli roth had nothing to do with the two sequels but he was a producer on the remake. Yeah, he so. wrote, he, he wrote it. Um, of course, he wrote the original. But mm-hmm. um, on the remake, he was uh, a writer and wrote the screenplay. And, um, yeah, producer. So. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to the end of the story. Uh, one thing, though, I want to say before we finish this, though. The whole rifle joke from the beginning that's where it kind of comes together here at the end because the convenience store, there are three black kids who walk into the store yeah. and uh, the convenience owner grabs the rifle and hands it to them and says, here you go. It's all restored for you. Yep. And again, they drop the N word here on this part. And it's just like, there was no point for that. That joke was not funny enough to suffice the use of that like four times in this movie for no reason. Yeah. There was, lit- I mean, it, yeah, it didn't help or didn't make it. There was there was no was, no reason was, for it. Yeah. yeah, and it makes me question. I I sincerely doubt 
that that's in the remake, but it makes me question whether or not they kept that for the remake. I doubt it. I I, I really doubt they kept that. Yeah, uh, but might have to watch it and see, you know, see how different it is or how much more, uh, you know, gory it is in twenty sixteen versus two thousand two. I would so. bet. I I would I would bet to wager your money on it that it's less gory, and, um, I, I mean. The IMDb rating for this was a 5.6 out of 10. Surprisingly, and I think I even said said this to you and Michael, um, it's got like a 60-something um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating from critics. This oh, really? Terrible. <laughs> I, I I mean, bad, like, ter- when I say terrible, I mean, like, the acting's bad. It's not, like... It, I don't know. Like I said before, it doesn't hold up. No, I enjoy the I enjoy the movie for what it is, but it doesn't hold up. And exactly the 2016 version, um, the IMDb rating is like a 3.2 out of 10. So I don't have good hopes for it, but I still want to watch it just so I can see what the changes were. Just after to kind of change this. exactly yeah. <clears throat> what the differences are in it and everything. So yeah, but yeah, that brings us to the end of our discussion of Cabin Fever. Um, but before we go, obviously, Mitchell, I have to ask you, we always do this every episode. If you were to say the theme of this movie or what the overall point of this film was, what would you say it was? Um, gosh, this is, you know, this is my second one, um, you know, being on the show, I feel like I'm getting typecasted for the not very deep movies um because I just we'll have like, you on for one that is, is a psychological thing where we can dig really deep into it but yeah no i, I know <laughs> and we've already talked about other movies that we'll do but um yeah i i, I there's not much be, for this one there's not much beyond the the surface level for me it's just if anything it's the tropey things of no sex no partying mm-hmm. um because it's all going to get you um but with <clears> it being you know we don't have a final girl we don't have you know, a killer, um, so to speak. I mean, yes, Paul ends up killing people, but it's essentially for his own survival, not because he's a, a mass murderer or something. Um, right. But I, I just feel like it's it's nothing beyond its surface level, um, that it's just, you know, a uh, uh, virus that's going to get you. Um, don't drink <laughs> the water, I guess. Don't Don't drink the water, only drink beer. There's my theme. There you go. Just drink beer. Don't drink water. <laughs> beer has water in it, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, I agree. This film is not very deep. I don't think it has a whole lot of, like, analytical points to it. Um, but the only thing I can really draw from this, and again, this is me just from my English background and everything that I know, I kind of relate this film <clears throat> in some ways to Lord of the Flies. And I'm not saying that this is at all similar to Lord of the Flies. They are very different mo- uh, stories. But the reason I say that is because this, the themes of this movie kind of relate with Lord of the Flies in the way that when shit hits the fan, everyone's for themselves. Self-preservation, um, yeah. Exactly. When civilization falls apart, uh, man's true nature begins to show. And that's very much true for Jeff's character because even though he's, it's his girlfriend and his friends, he just straight up leaves. Um, yeah. it, it, it's just kind of like the whole rouse that people put up, um, 
for that they actually care for one another. When something like this happens and they're it's a every man for himself kind of situation, that quickly gets shredded, uh, and their true selfish nature comes to comes out. So that's kind of the idea I can put on this film. If we're gonna have a theme for this movie, it's it's mostly just that when shit hits the fan, no matter how much you care for someone, some people, not everyone, because Paul kind of stays and Marcy stays as well. Some people's true nature shows through and they're not actually the person they built it themselves up to be. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. I definitely think too the, um, you know, you see it with Paul as well. Um, he doesn't kill his own friends, but he's, I mean, he does merciful, mercifully kill off, uh, Karen, but, mm-hmm. you know, we see him going full madman on those, the rednecks or whatever. So like, you know, it's definitely a self-preservation type, you know, theme to a good bit of the movie for sure. I could see that. So exactly. Also, real quick before we move on, I was looking at the IMDb page for this movie. It has 144 uses of the word "fuck." So there you go. Where did you see that? I've been looking under at this page all <laughs> damn day. It's under the parents guide. If you oh, scroll down under the parents dang guide, it. I to forgot about profanity. that section. 144 F-words and derivatives, one obscene hand gesture, three sexual references, 31 scatological terms, 10 anomical terms, anatomical terms, 10 mild obscenities, and then four derogatory terms for African Americans, and a number of homophobic terms. <laughs> yep. So. I found it. <laughs> yep. Because I was looking, I, while, we, while we were talking, I was looking at the comparisons between Cabin Fever tw- 2002 and 2016. Um, to see whether or not the use of the racist terms were in there, and it, it is not in the 2016 version. Okay. So, um, but yeah, that brings us to the end of our discussion of Cabin Fever. There is no final girl heel, unfortunately, for us to rank. Um, so, everyone dies. This is one of those, I don't want to say rare on this show because I know we've covered several movies where no one survives, but this is one of those fewer occasions where we have no final girl to rank here. And yeah. honestly, let me okay. Let me just ask you this: If any character in this movie were to have survived, would you want it to have been Paul because he was our main protagonist? And if anyone were to have lived, it would have been him. Would you have wanted Paul to live after everything he did? Um, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> the the only time that I really felt like there was going to be. A, a, uh, you know somebody that's going to survive it was jeff and then you know you kind of knew the writing on the wall because he right. was being so celebratory about it that he was going to die too um, i mean even even with jeff i would not have wanted jeff to have survived this because jeff was an asshole no. the entire movie i didn't want him to die i didn't <laughs> say that i was just saying that's the only time that i thought anybody was going to survive exactly um, but yeah that definitely not um I, i'm Truthfully, I feel like the only person in this movie who had any kind of redeeming qualities of themselves would have been Karen. Yeah, exactly. And she was the first one to really get get it. And then we knew she was going to die as soon as she got it. So that was exactly you. you, Even though she wasn't the first to die, you still felt like she was the first dead one. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I I mean, it sounds terrible to say it, but uh, I was fine, happy with all of them dying. I mean, it sounds terrible to say that, yes, but we're also talking about a movie here. We're not talking about real people. So yeah. 
it, that's yeah, why I don't, I feel like, why I don't I feel have like any problems okay. saying it. I, I yeah. feel like it's okay to say that, yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, I believe that brings us to the end of our discussion on everything here. Um, Mitchell, thank you so much for being on once again, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be back on the show, and hopefully it won't be as long until my next show. I'm hoping not because, like I said, I wanted to get you on earlier, but some stuff happened and things, you know, we get, people get busy and everything. So yeah. uh, I wanted you yeah. back on earlier, but then I excuses. got busy, then you got busy. Excuses. excuses. I know. All the excuses in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but since it has been a minute, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Um, so I'm mostly on Facebook. Um, MT Shaw 3 is my uh, um, Facebook handle. And then that's the same for Instagram and, and uh, Twitter. And I'm also the host of a Dallas Cowboys podcast that we should be getting picked up here very soon. It's um, almost football season. Yep. We're, uh, we're, we've been in the talks trying to figure out how we're going to start recording, if we're going to do try to do maybe an in-person um, because two of us now live in Buchanan and Daniel is doesn't do shit. So um, <laughs> we can – Hopefully, if we if he can get a vehicle, we can make it work out to where we can record in person and start doing that soon. Um, but the Cowboys are on um, the Hard Knocks show on HBO, so we're hoping to start doing some episodes leading up to the season with Hard Knocks and all that good stuff, and then um, go from there. So we'll um, we will be having a podcast every week um, during the season, regardless. So look for us. It's um, called the Lawn Chair Cowboys. And um, we are on all of the streaming platforms for podcasts. So, All right. Awesome. Thank you. And like I said, once again, thank you for being here. We will have you back on soon enough, I'm sure. So, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Final Girl Podcast. Uh, this show is brought to you guys by 13 Palm Trees Podcast Productions. They bring you other great shows such as D&D Kinda, Gurus of Gaming, and Video Game Mythos. Be sure to check those out wherever you get your podcasts. If you guys want to know more about this show, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Final Girl Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Final Girl Podcast. Um, join our Discord. Like I said, the link's in the description down below. And if you guys want to help support the show and bring this to you all even more, uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Final Girl Podcast. Thank you guys so much to everyone who does that. Uh, you guys really make this show what it is because without you all, this show would be hard to fund. So I appreciate each and every one of you who do so. And if you can't, just listening to the show and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes uh, is good enough for me. So I appreciate everyone who has rated the show and given it a good rating. So thank you all so much for listening. Mitch, once again, thank you for being here. So until next time, as always, guys, take it easy. Take it easy.